Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speak with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. We are doing something historic today, and that is we have brought a guest back for the third time, um, third time in a row, uh, not because it's three different um, interviews, but because the first and second parts of the interview sort of had so much information um, for us to talk about that. Um, I just kept asking him to come back for more. I'm hoping that we can <laughs> close it up today, um, although it seems like actually a pretty big topic. And um, this Rabbi Harry Rosenberg actually founded an organization based on um, sort of collecting the lost tribes and this passion that he has. Um, and so maybe maybe there will be another episode, but let's see what we can get to today. So just to give you a run through, if you haven't heard the other two episodes, you may want to um, pause this now and jump backwards. But if um, you did and you made a little, little quick recap, um, we spoke about so far um, the Pashtun tribe, um, which um, I believe is in uh, Afghanistan. Is that it, Rabbi Harry? Correct. Okay, and um, numbers about 40 million, and they t uh, talk about themselves as Bane Israel. They sort of have this open misover, this open tradition that, of course, they are the descendants of the Jewish people and a lost tribe. And while they have basically become Muslim, um, sort of in practice, um, they sort of retain this um, very open, uh, you know, secret that this is where they come from. We spoke about, remind me now in Japan, um, is it like Yashito or something like this, or am I totally getting it wrong? Well, the the religion, or I don't know if it's a religion, but the culture in Japan is called Shinto. Right. And Shinto isn't 70 million people, but the Shinto priests are called Yamabushi. Okay. And they are the ones who have these secrets that they say they came from an ancient homeland. They're the ones that wear, it looks like they're wearing filling, phylacteries on their foreheads. Um, so they're they're still there around today, walking around in the woods okay. of Japan. Then we have that, and then we have this Igbo tribe. That's kind of where we stopped last time. Um, this is a tribe in Africa that has a um, also sort of this open knowledge of being descendants uh, or a lost tribe of Israel. Um, and what was so fascinating is that you pointed out that 25% of um, slaves that were brought over from Africa to America um, draw their lineage back to this one particular tribe, um, including Amari Stoudemire and um, some other famous um, African-American individuals. So I guess if you could pick up at that part of the story, um, and I don't know if we got to this last time, if you could remind us what, you know, with um, the Pashtun people calling themselves Bane Israel, that seems pretty, you know, obvious. And you mentioned some um, sort of uh, Jewish practices that are retained still in some families. Is there anything similar to that in the Igbo tribe? Yeah, definitely. And before I start, I just want to say a funny story because for the last two times we've spoken, I was in Israel, now I'm in America on a trip. And so yesterday, uh, from the airport, I had to take an Uber. And back to where I was going, I took an Uber. So I was in two Ubers yesterday. The first Uber, I say to the gentleman, I say, well, where are you from? He says, Afghanistan. So I say, well, are you Pashtun? He says, yes. Then I say, well, are you Bonnie Israel? He says, yes, I am. And he looks back at me. I say, well, then I'm your brother. And we had this whole moment of, you know, connecting and talking. And we really had built off a great relationship. He wants to come visit Israel. Uh, hmm. I thought that was just hilarious. And then wow. my second Uber, I'm with the guy, and I say, where are you from? He says, Nigeria. I say, are you from the Igbo tribe? He says, yes. So my, my two Ubers yesterday in America were both from the Lost Tribes of Israel, and, and, and they knew it. They knew their story, their history. It's just something they don't speak about. So I thought that was just very humorous. And um, obviously there's no, and I told you, I think I told you my story that I had. Maybe I did. I don't know. Did I tell you about my Uber driver that um, 
is uh, a Murano um, and traces his family back to Spain and practices uh, Jewish uh, traditions um, in Panama um, and wants to convert. So I guess there may be something about driving. Maybe Jews are driven and then they want to drive. And um, this is where the, the lost souls of the Jewish people go. So, okay, so what are what are sort of the markers um, of Igbo? Do they have a certain term they call themselves or any sort of certain customs they practice? Sure, yeah, there was actually a book written recently called, um, uh, I believe it was the Igbo uh, Jewish Relationship uh, by uh, Remy Ilona, R-E-M-Y Ilona. And it says on, under there, the largest Jewish diaspora, that's how he refers to it. And he wrote a whole entire book comparing and contrasting um, Judaism and their custom in, uh, in, in Igbo land, which is called Omenawa, which they do, like, for example, they're doing, t- t- even my Uber driver asked him, they're doing uh, circumcision on the eighth day. So I said to him, you know, are you circumcised? He says, yes. I said, what day, you know, what day did you get circumcised? He says, on the eighth day, like everyone else in my tribe. Hmm. I said, okay, that was fascinating. Oh, but they do things like they're getting married under a chuppah, and hmm. they do seven days of mourning when someone passes away. They have unique ritual slaughtering. They're not mixing meat and milk. They, hmm. You know, so they, they have all these things. They're not eating pig. Um, unlike all the tribes around them, which you'll see, they aren't doing that. So if you're, if you're, pulling data from the tribes of Nigeria, and you look, hey, this one tribe has 30 things in common with Mosaic law, and the others at best have three or two, then you see, and, and now this is a tribe that's self-identifying, then mm-hmm. you start to see there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and is there any, um, so, okay, so we've already explained the history of when in Jewish history the, the tribes um, split up and split apart. Okay, so now talk about, so Amari, Amari grew up with a family Misora where they told him um, we are we are descendants of the Jewish people. That was what he heard his mother saying. Certainly, and he's not alone in that because you do have um, America had one thing. They're really good at keeping records uh, back in the day. So it wasn't like they just brought random ships over to different ports. They kept track of which port the ship came from, which port the ship arrived to, what were the names of every person on the ship, and who bought everyone, and etc. So now we start to, we're starting to see that there's a lot of writings from 200 or so years ago of some of the slaves starting to speak about saying we have, like they're learning the Bible, like these Christians are showing them the Bible, and they're saying this is our story, this is our narrative. Hmm. So already there's different personalities that start emerging around the year 1800 or so that start discussing that this is a, a connection they have. So now when you have someone like Amari Sotomayor who says, you know, his mother raised him in a way saying, you are from the children of Israel, you're from the people of Israel, you have to pray to the Lord and pray to the gods, the one God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that, that wasn't like something strange that was, because when a Jew hears that for the first time, what do, we, what do we think? That we think somehow a European Jew met, met someone who's descended from a slave and they got married, you know, hundreds of years ago, and this is where it came from. Yeah. But we never would have used our imagination to think that this legend came off of the ship itself, um, which indeed that we're finding out is not, not something that is only in Amari's family, but throughout the African-American culture. But the interesting thing is, as you said, it's conservative. Let's say between 15 and 20 to 25 percent of the slaves came from this one tribe. Now, that's that slavery. I also want to say something interesting. Slavery started about 400 years ago. So now you have African-Americans marrying each other. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm not going to use the word breeding, but I'll say they're breeding with each other um, because they're getting married. And, 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 and when they were slaves, they were being put together to mate with other slaves. So the Igbo blood is now what's spread amongst you know, let's say 60 to 80 percent of the African-Americans have some Igbo blood in them, which is a, a whole nother a whole nother conversation. Um, so, yeah, we, we have that scenario where 
you have all these people who came here with these legends. And now today you're starting to see, let's say, a few examples of like very high profile individuals who are speaking out about this. Um, and I believe we mentioned this, but it, it, it's growing every day. And even you saw there was a, unfortunately, there was a famous rapper who just passed away um, the other day. But mm-hmm. internally, I don't know if you heard about this. His name was uh, Nipsey. He was a famous rapper, but it was like viral. But it, amongst him and his, his circles, these were all people who held themselves to be from the people of Israel. This Nipsey? Was, this was, his circles of people, like the people he was rapping with and, and the people he was hanging out with and building with were yeah. all talking about like this Israelite identity that's really ours that we're going to have to reclaim. That, and what's his name? What's his full name? Uh, his, well, he, all you have to type in is Nipsey into Google right now. It's like every single major Nipsey celebrity Russell. in the world. Yeah, yeah. Everyone just tweeted about him yesterday. He just passed away. It was a massive deal. But what it what it what it caused to happen now is there's like this suppressing of of information. So from the African American perspective, they're like, why isn't this like viral information? Why isn't the whole world talking about this? Hmm. And so from like so when things like this happen, it causes them to like take it to the next level of like let's be more vocal and and, and get out there even more. So that's why like we mentioned before, we have rappers like Kendrick Lamar and his new album that was called The uh, Damn. In one of his songs, and there's like half a billion views on on this album. And one of his songs, he says, "Don't I'm a he, I'm an Israelite. Don't call me black no more. That's just the color, you know." So basically, he's like in the middle of his most successful rap rap album release. He's saying, "I'm an Israelite." So you know, so what's he talking about? And if you actually look back, this kind of started with um, with Bob Marley. Um, I'm friendly with a few. Well, it, it, the, the largest populations of Igbo were taken to Jamaica and the Caribbean islands. Got it. So, so when you know, so when the the Rastafarians say, you know, Haley Selassie, you know, but they don't come from Ethiopia. So the the Jamaicans are coming from Western Nigeria. Wait, but can you explain Haley Selassie? Wait, what does that mean, Haley Selassie? Oh, Haley Selassie is the last emperor of Ethiopia. Okay. Um, he said he was a direct male descendant of King Solomon, the last okay. Ethiopian emperor. Mm-hmm. He was friendly. He got friendly with John F. Kennedy. There's a few conspiracy theories, you know, uh, only a few weeks after he met John F. Kennedy, John F. Kennedy was killed. But people say he was talking to him about his like Israelite bloodline and all these things. Um, that's not for now, but that, that's all another conversation. But uh, Haley Selassie is considered like the Rastafarian culture. And like Bob Marley, he was the prophet for them. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the last descendant of the King Solomon dynasty. And, and he was from the House of Israel. So these people in Jamaica, like, what do they have to do with Ethiopia? That they're like that that Bob Marley's rapping of Ethiopia because they didn't have any uh, genetics or DNA from there, but they came from Western Africa. Hmm. So these people who came over say, "Hey, we're from Israel. This guy is the last Israelite king from the line of King Solomon," as Haley Selassie self-identified. And as we know, Ethiopians, um, uh, Queen of Sheba had a son uh, with uh, King Solomon who went back to Ethiopia with some treasures and goods and wisdom. So we know there was a, a Davidic bloodline in Ethiopia. That we we do know. So, um, so I'm friendly so with. Make, um, what was that? Can we make a distinction between um, this Igbo tribe and Ethiopian Jews, and then like the Black Israelites, which is sort of an extremist and fringe and not actually um, descendant of Israel group? Can you sort of explain? Because oh, uh, it's a great question. Yeah. So Ethiopia is the oldest. Jewish or Israelite exile diaspora in the world today. So while the temple, the first temple was still standing, you had people in Ethiopia who were from the house of Israel. So that was, <laughs> that wouldn't even be considered 
a, a direct result of an exile. That could just have been a direct result of Israel having business trades or mines or some type of diplomacy where they had a colony set up in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And there was different waves of exiles, you know, starting with the split of the kingdom and the fall of the kingdom of Judah, where they went into Ethiopia. But that was a totally separate exile from, from the whole other side of Africa um, that we're talking about with the Igbo tribe. So the Ethiopians and the Igbo are two totally different groups that are not, didn't come from like one shared period that we could really identify, mm-hmm. but two totally different groups that both look back to Israel as their ancient homeland. Mm-hmm. But now you mentioned something interesting, which is um, the black, Israelis. which is the, yeah. And I'll tell you just a quick story, what happened to me and like how, how I understand this. I gave a lecture at Yeshiva Aish in Jerusalem once on the lost tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. And my rabbi, he said to me, anytime you give a lecture, you have to film it with like high quality camera and a mic. It's got to be legit. Otherwise, you know, you're taking something so precious and you're devaluing it. So I, got, I had a good cameraman. It was the first time I really filmed myself. I had a good cameraman. I put it on the internet, on YouTube, not thinking anything would happen. And in the middle of my lecture, I gave a five-minute speech about the Igbo tribe and the transatlantic slave trade um, and, that, and, the, and the whole connection there between the two. And I guess someone from the Black Hebrew Israelites of America saw that clip. Um, they took it off YouTube, that five minutes, and they stuck it onto Facebook, like a five-minute clip of me talking about this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it then it got one million views around within a day or two. Wow! Um, of but it was ninety nine point seven percent of the views were African Americans viewing it. Um, so I was just tracking it to see because this I had no I was like whoa what's going on, and I started reading the comments, and the comments were like very very hateful, hmm. um, just like look at this fake Jew. Well, finally, he's telling the truth, admitting that he's the imposter, we're the real ones, and all of these comments started coming in, hmm. which obviously I never, I never did. I, I, I would never hint to the fact that just because you may have a lineage from the people of Israel has nothing to do with my lineage. So, like they, they put that piece of the whole thing together, and so then it was like a few days later, or like three or four days later, or maybe a week later, I get a phone call in Jerusalem saying, hey, is this uh, Rabbi Harry from, from YouTube, from the video? And they said, you know, we want you to come to New York and we're going to fly you out to debate our finest scholar. And so, you know, I'm like, I'm a yes guy. So I was like, okay, sure, let's do it, you know, no problem. And I thought this would be helpful. And then, like, the next morning I woke up and I realized there was, like, flyers all over Harlem and all over different parts of uh, the America, African-American communities in America, like, about me debating this guy who he doesn't even, he, he's a descendant of the Igbo from the slave trade, but he, he has a mixed view. Because, uh, I'll just give you behind the scenes. Amongst the African-Americans today, they're debating amongst themselves who they really are. Mm. Are they from the children of Israel? Is their legacy, the ancient Egyptians, which was like one of the most civilized cultures supposedly on earth, is that who they really are? Um, are, 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 are they, you know, so they're debating amongst themselves in these massive camps and celebrities are taking sides in this debate in the African-American community. So I was debating someone who held that uh, that the Torah was plagiarized from ancient Egypt and the, and the African-Americans' legacy really goes back to ancient Egypt, but he was really Igbo. But all the, all the black African-American Hebrew Israelites, which we'll explain them in a second, they sided with this guy over me because of their opposition to white people. Um, mm. So next thing you know, I'm in, I'm in Harlem in this ballroom with like thousands of people. There's some rappers and celebrities. You know, some NBA player guys, like, we're following it. Um, I'm in this room debating this guy on the authenticity of the Torah and the narrative 
And in the room are Egyptologists and the Black Hebrew Israelites. And what, what I ended up understanding was, is there's a massive amount of trauma um, in this scenario. So it's like, imagine me and you waking up tomorrow in Germany, where we're still living in Germany, let's say, shortly after the Holocaust, where Jews still feel like they're fighting for their rights. And we were being raised by people who were beaten by Nazis. So we're going to like, Germans are like, whoa, well, who are, and then now you want to tell me they're my brother, you know, these Germans. Right. So there, there's a lot of trauma that exists uh, towards white people from the African-American community, which is totally understandable. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't take it personal, all the hate. And I explained this to them on stage. I explained to them really what's going on. And like, how, like, how do you think they think like the white man is uh, the devil and uh, the Jew, the white Jew is like a higher version of the devil. And right. the redhead Jew is like the highest version of evil on planet Earth. Because Esau was the redhead, they say. So I'm like this redhead, redhead white Jew. I was like the epitome of the most evil thing they ever seen mm. on stage with them. So I was explaining to them like how how you can't go, you know, jump from conclusions like that. But at the end of the day, these African American, Black Hebrew Israelites were standing on corners and yelling at white people, very angry and aggressive. Some of them actually may have Israelite blood in them. They've just gone through some serious trauma. Right. They can't relate. They can't relate. So, so I don't take it personal. I, and I, what I do take personal is when Jews take it personal. So it's like if you go, I'm not calling them insane, but if you go to like an insane asylum right. and someone yells at you or like screams at you, you don't take it personal. You're like, oh, I understand right. the guy. So if someone has like trauma from a white human, so now I'm a white human, I'm going to trigger that trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. We got to be very, very sensitive to it. But at the end of the day, because of that whole thing, that debate that I got into and that, that whole thing on YouTube, I have every single day around the world, African-Americans are, are reaching out to me from wherever they are saying, you know, we saw your videos and we're ready to reconcile. We want to work together. We want to study Torah. We want to convert, you know. So there was this like light at the end of the tunnel to say the hate is a temporary thing. So we can't. And the hate amongst the African-American community is the minority, it's not the majority, mm-hmm. but they're just making the most noise. So we can't right. look at it and, and, and get turned off by the fact that, you know, there's, 12 million people were brought from Africa and, you know, a couple, a minimum of them, a couple million of them have Israelite blood in them. Um, and I think a, sort of an interesting thing um, is that, uh, at least from my perspective, um, from the people that we hear from, we hear from a, a pretty large number of people interesting in, interested in converting and of those people interested in converting, a large percentage of them are black, which I would think would be sort of counterintuitive because most unfortunately, um, there still is racism in the Orthodox community today, especially as you go to more insular places. Uh, and so it would almost seem like, why would you want to um, be a part of a community that may reject you, that may treat you worse uh, than you'd be treated elsewhere? But um, part of me, you know, hearing this all, it seems so clear that they're trying to reclaim this sort of like spiritual uh, birthright that um, that got sort of ripped apart from them. Exactly. And I just had a phone call with someone this week who said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm a Hebrew Israelite and I, I want to go to Israel. I have money. I want to buy a house there and live in my homeland, which I believe is mine. But I have to convert. He's saying, why am I converting? I should be reverting. Well, who, who are you to tell me that I have to convert to something I already am? So I have to explain to him, you know, the 613, the laws and, and what it means. There was a blessing from, from uh, Jacob to Judah that he's going to hold on to the laws until the end times. And right now, Judah, the, the Jews, we've held on to these laws. You have to retake the laws. So then he said to me, but I went to a synagogue to see what's going on. And they didn't really let me in. They weren't so nice to me. Uh, and, you know, so what's going on here? So I explained to him. I said, you know, 
just like your community has this trauma, I so too to the Jews. The Jewish people also have trauma. We spent, you know, every 50 to 60 years running from pogroms and rapes and killing and, and getting our businesses stolen, leaving other people's land. We are also very traumatized, which is why we've become so insular. And so I, I explained to him, I said, you know, when I go to like, let's say I'm going to a very ultra-Orthodox Jewish community because I'm traveling for business or any Jewish community. So what happens to me? Some Jews are going to come up to me. Hey, what's your name? Where are you from? Who's your rabbi? Where did you learn? They're going to be asking me all these questions. You know what? I love these questions. I enjoy them and I enjoy giving answers and I enjoy earning their trust through my answers. But for someone who doesn't have those answers ready, that's very aggressive and very intimidating. I'm like, whoa, why, why do you want to know where I come from? Like, my rabbi, I don't have a rabbi. Like, like you're invading my space with all your questions. So, but the Jew means well when he asks those questions. He's just like, I need to know that you're, you're inside the circle. But once you're inside, it's filled with love and acceptance mm-hmm. and unity. But to get on that inside, it comes through this mastery of 613. So I told this African-American, I said, if you go to like a random community, you know, and I do agree that there is racism still exists in the Jewish community. But if he goes and someone says, oh, where are you from? And if you respond to him, say, I'm actually in a conversion track with this yeshiva, with this program. And here's my rabbi. They're, they're going to have a big smile on their face. They're going to be like, OK, that's great. Like, welcome in. Right. You know, so you have to get past that first phase. But both sides have to realize that, like, we're both traumatized and we're projecting the other side. But at the center of this, like, Jewish, African-American, European Jewish relationship is like the core of like solving racism in America because this is like, this is like the, one of the main issues in America is this racism issue. And our little Jewish people, less than 1% of the world, we hold the key to like dissolve major boundaries in it. Hmm. So let's try to wrap this all up. Let's try to make meaning about tribe lost people now. I mean, literally millennia later um, being found wanting to return to um the land of Israel to the, you know, the heritage of Israel, people converting. Um, are there prophecies of this happening? Um, kind of what do you make of sort of the, the being lost and then now um, being found? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to, I'm going to try to give it a beautiful wrap up right here, which actually may lead into another can of worms. So let's see where it goes. So, um, so let's say there's prophecies from, uh, let's say there's the prophecies from ancient times that speak about, you know, definitely tribes being found in Africa, being found in China. Um, like I said, we say every morning before the Amidah, we're going to have this unity between Judah and between Israel. But one of the major things we say, and it was even reverberated recently in, by modern scholars, is in the future that there's going to be such a thing called the global Israel, where the Jewish people get elevated to become like the status of priests, and the whole world gets elevated to become like the status of the Jews. And the land, which, which is really dangerous. You don't want to start saying this out loud. It sounds like, very, like it sounds like, well, we're going to do a global conquest. What's going on? Um, but I'll try to explain it. And it says in the future that the Israel becomes like Jerusalem or the world becomes like Israel. So what, what's happening right now? And, um, and first of all, the government of Israel wrote a report about this uh, recently, which is public online in Hebrew. I have an English copy, which is still private. They're still doing editing on it. Um, but the government of Israel is now, and I and I did like control F, like search search the word like uh, in this document. So I typed in the word Igbo, and the word Igbo pops up like 40 times in the government document. So I'm just like, okay, the government of Israel is now indirectly getting involved in like Kendrick Lamar's story, which is like always going to be interesting when you see like the most famous rapper in America like being referenced somehow like through through the document of the government of Israel. But what's mm-hmm. happening now is if you look at like the Bnei Menashe, who they came from Mizraim Manipur, south of China. They live in Israel now. There's there's like a few thousand, you know, four or five thousand maybe in Israel. 
tens of thousands still in, in India converting, and a few hundred thousand from this tribe who, who've lost their connection, who are slowly finding out. But in India, they started their own army called the Army of Israel, their own militia, where they have Israeli flags in the ground where they've made what they call an outpost of Israel. And if you look at the, the Igbo, 40 million people, they're not saying that they want to move to Israel or even convert at this point. They're saying we're staying where we are and we're declaring this land Israel. We're declaring this land part of Israel. And this phenomenon is just at its infancy. We are going to start seeing over the next few years massive plots of land and peoples and nations starting to, to want to consecrate or, so to say, bring their land to Israel. So the next step is what I'm doing and I'm spearheading is strictly doing uh, large-scale data mapping, where we are creating maps of where all these people are by the village, contact people per village, and what you're going to end up seeing is the distribution of Israel to these places digitally and through technology. So what you can call the future of the government of Israel would, would technically be, could be considered a, a digitally distributed state, where the state distributes itself across the world digitally to other people where they're now going to, you know, say, okay, we have technology to, you know, to launch a satellite over you in Afghanistan where we're going to help you create your own electricity. You're going to pump your own water. You're going to have greenhouses, telemedicine, online education, infrastructure resources. We're going to bring you from a third world country to a first world country as your like parent or sister city, so to say. So the next, like, and the government of Israel somehow directly involved in this through a few back channels. But this, these prophecies of this global Israel is not what, like, a hater would say of this, like, military takeover where Israel starts to, like, you know, conquer land. This is simply people raising their hands, saying, mm -hmm. we are a part of this and we want in. And Israel now, from a state level and from, you know, from a, from a human level, we have to be ready to accept this and, 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 and work with it. Not to say, well, they're not Jewish, not really Jewish. Those aren't the right answers. The, the right things are... There's over 100 million people today that want to be a part of Israel. How do we make this happen? Where can we see this? This sounds like fantastical. Um, okay. Where can we see this document? Is this on a website or? Well, um, yeah, the, the document from the government of Israel is on their website. It's in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. um, I do you have a URL? Send you a, yeah, I, I could send you a link after that. You could post it the if article, you would okay. like. Yeah. Um, sure. So someone could read in Hebrew the, you know, I've, I've met the people who wrote the report. I'm working with uh, the government official, uh, officials that were appointed by Israel to be involved in this. Um, a lot of it's going to get tricky because I don't think the government of Israel is so ready to handle radical Islam in Afghanistan. Um, and especially they say, you know, 25% of the Palestinians in Israel have Jewish roots, went through forced conversions to Islam. So there's a lot of sticky subjects in here that the report has to dance around where, where, where guys like me come in and become like, you know, what Nefesh Benefesh did for Aliyah. Like Aliyah was like uh, making, uh, moving to Israel was a slow process. So a non-government body came in, helped clean it up. And now the government relies on them as an official like branch of the government to handle certain subjects. So this is what we're trying to do for the Lost Tribes to handle some of these sticky situations. But I, I can send you that link afterwards where you can post it where someone could read it and kind of see where, where we're going with this. We have about two minutes to go. I'm just like, it sounds like so crazy. So, um, I mean, pardon me, also things about the prophecy, uh, the promise to Avraham that um, his descendants are going to be, you know, um, as vast as the stars in the heavens, which we're not. We're a very small people, but perhaps 
all of this, you know, these lost uh, Jewish um, souls that I guess halachically don't have a Jewish standing, but seem to be descendants of Israel. Perhaps um, maybe that that's what this, uh, this promise to Avraham was about. That's correct. And I think you're de- definitely spot on with that, that all the, that there's, the seed of Abraham somehow, you know, there's something in it that had survived and thrived. And, and, and I've related this before in previous shows, but it's really important note to end on is this theory of the, the common denominator between Yosef and Esther of there were just two random people from the house of Israel that got far flung to different regions. And for somehow they rose to power, became influential and, and they flourished from that mm-hmm. position. So we have to assume that this could have happened all across the world through many nations, where the seed of Avram, which has this success in it, had spread and, and became influential. And that's why at the end of the story of Purim, you also see that from Africa to India, there was a mass conversion, which it says very clearly in the story of Esther. Um, so, you know, Avraham, when, when, it, when it said uh, he came, he said he made souls, you know, he created souls. So even the souls that he made were, were considered from Avraham, they weren't even his bloodline, but they were from him. They were his souls that he created. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have billions of people around the world today speaking about, um, you know, the story of Moses and the prophets between Islam and Christianity. So technically, you could consider the, the, the fulfillment of Abraham is just, you know, just still starting right now. Really fascinating stuff. Um, thank you so much for your time um, and coming on all these shows. Um, and we, we wish you much hatzlacha in your continued work. Thank you. I do think over the next few months or years, there will be some crucial updates. And as they come, we'll stay in touch about it. Sounds fabulous. And thank you so much for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.